I don't want to marry Mitch McConnell. Welcome to Pinot and Policy, Arbiter's podcast where we down a few mimosas, or in this case, Pinot for once, and argue over, well, policy. I'm your host, Drake McFarlane, and I'm joined today by Sophia Freuden and Hannah Luzetter and somebody else, too, Morgan McFarlane. So, care to introduce yourselves? Um, okay. Well, I'm Drake's sister, and I'm also a poli-sci major at University of Puget Sound. I'm Hannah. I'm the director of networking at Arbitra. And I am Sophia, the editor-in-chief of Arbitra. Tell me, what, what fascinates you about the world when you're, when you're studying away at the University of Puget Sound? <laughs> Um, well, I've been able to go abroad uh, to China in January, and I'm going back for research. And so it's just being able to interact with cultures that, specifically in the Pacific Northwest especially, you really don't get to have a lot of time with and get to talk to people who are entirely outside of any of your possible bubbles and make those connections internationally that will last for years. How brand appropriate. And, you know, the good news is she hasn't been captured by communists yet. So. No, I have not. Uh, that is good. Yeah, I really don't want to have to call for bail for that one. See That's how the summer fun. goes when we're back. Oh, yeah, my sister and I, we're, we're going to go to uh, Japan, Korea, and China. Mm-hmm. Cause a couple international incidents. It's gonna be really I fun. can't help you. I'm not at the State Department anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. That we know of. <laughs> hey. So, yeah. So, anyways. Um, oh, by the way, I'm Drake, if you haven't noticed. I'm the creative director at Arbiter. I make podcasts, and I write once in a while. I'm getting stared at by Sophia right now. He never writes. He never writes. I, Don't I, believe him. I can't, I can't write. I'm an artist. All right. So anyway, um, today we have a very important topic for everybody to get drunk over. And it is, who is the hottest politician around? Or really, it's the hot or not politics edition. I had a, a good friend of mine, Aaron Schwartzbaum, or good friend, friend who I've never met on Twitter. Uh, he recommended that we call this po- uh, episode Body Politic. The okay. politics of beauty. So this episode's called... Body politic. <laughs> so we're going to be, uh, you know, judging people on their appearance and how that affects uh, their political prospects. And we all know Justin Trudeau is the hottest boy around, but... Is he? Is he? We'll get to that later. Oh, my goodness. So, Sophia, you sound like you have very strong opinions on various politicians. So I would like to, and you're the po- you're the podcast host, so we can go about this however you'd like. There's like an actual level of, of seriousness that goes into the politics of beauty and specifically beauty in, in international relations. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I completely agree. So let's uh, let's start this conversation off with the serious things. Why is beauty important in politics? And yeah, we already know that it's about like being tall and stuff, but what else? Hannah, care to elaborate? One of the things that comes to mind is women in politics. Of course, as we all know, women's beauty and standards of beauty and things like that are often talked about in media for things like celebrities and and so on. But as we were reading in an, an article earlier, when the attractiveness of a woman politician is mentioned, regardless what way it's mentioned, um, it can be damaging to their political re- career or the perception that the public has about their ability to be a politician. Yeah. I mean, you can be hot Justin Trudeau, but if you're like a hot female politician that or, detracts from them. Or a homely one, uh-huh. you know. So you have to somehow be like, wait, so it's, you got to be like a solid eight, essentially. It's basically like you're the girl next door. You can, no, it's cute. You can take her back to meet the family, right? But not too hot. 
And it's walking a fine line because, I mean, your appearance is what people see when they see you, right? Obviously. It sounds like you appear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're always. <laughs> so for women in positions of power, appearing attractive but not too attractive and not not attractive is, it's it's a walking a fine line. It's a, it's a balance, I think. Uh, yeah, so like one thing I would like to bring into this discussion, because it's intersectional, you know, uh, is that it's not just like, gender like there's so many different ways of approaching this though obviously gender is a big one uh it's not just gender it's also like gender and age or gender and race or gender and ace and rage or race and age you know like there's so many different ways of looking about this one thing that comes to mind and i'm gonna bring it up because it's gonna be brought up is that in 2016 we had the first female nominee of a major party running for president hillary clinton right and there was obviously a lot of reasons potentially why she didn't win the general election you can talk about the Electoral College, you can talk about Russia, you can talk about, you know, not reaching the white vote in the Rust Belt, you can talk about whatever. But one thing that I think, you know, plays a significant role, maybe not the only role, but a significant role is the fact that she was a woman and not just a woman, but an older woman. So you're saying she wasn't enough of a gilf? Sure. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's not that she wasn't enough of a gilf so much as like we have this idea in our minds of like the school marm, right? And the same thing is happening to Elizabeth Warren or kind of happening to Elizabeth Warren. Part of me doesn't even want to discuss it because I feel like in some ways it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I feel like a Warren's less of like your grandma and more like your cool aunt. I would hope. Aunt. I like Elizabeth Warren a lot. Her foreign policy weirds me out. Domestically, she's great. I, I like her a lot. I definitely don't want her. I hate it when people compare her to Hillary Clinton in, in that regard of like she's unlikable. She's a lot more fun than Hillary Clinton. She's way more. Well, she's Elizabeth Warren. Hillary Clinton was plenty fun on her own. She's Elizabeth Warren, you know, and like, just because she happens to be a woman who's older than 40 does not make her a school marm. No, just a spinster. So I have a question. She's married. The point is, is that I, I, I definitely hear where you're getting at, but this is a very millennial uh, perspective. I'm curious what the Gen Z kids of today, who do they find attractive? Who, who are their candidates? As we all stare at the resident. Uh, Still born in 1900. Oh, a 90s kid. <laughs> born in 1990. 1900s. I was born in the 1900s. I, I remember when Germany marched into Belgium and just <laughs> slaughtered them. I remember it. Uh, it's worth mentioning that we're all at least on our second, if not third, pours of either Pinot <laughs> or a certain variety of beverage known as a very cold, small meal. But I will not <laughs> name aloud, lest I incur upon myself some kind of losses. They're, they're pretty except chill. For, except for Morgan, who is, as we just discussed, born in 99. Yeah, so she is very much not drinking. Yeah, totally not drinking whatsoever. Yeah, yeah totally. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Gen Zs. Yeah. yeah. Morgan. The, the youths. I mean, I think it also has to do with a lot of just the social media presence. So when we think of the older generations and stuff like that, candidates who are older unless they have some form of presence on Twitter that's not in a cringy way that they're trying to be like, oh, hey, kids, like, I can relate to you. Um, that also definitely affects it because it is the age issue there. It really dates them when they have that. And so you have Ocasio, who not only is she very pretty, as a lot of articles have talked about, but she uses Twitter very well. And in a way that's not just trying to create political memes, but actually actively calling people out in a way that younger generations can interact with. And so 
in that way, her age does benefit her because she is able to use those platforms a lot more effectively. Yeah, that actually spurs a question for me towards the youth in the room. And that is, so we talk about appearance as like a physical appearance, but there's also your social media and digital appearance, your digital brand, if you will. Would you argue then AOC has her own digital appearance that's stronger than um, that alien sound that just happened? Um, <laughs> so my, my curiosity is, so there's AOC, is there other politicians who are hashtag hot or whatever on Twitter, etc. that you can uh, think of. What, what speaks to the youth of today? I mean, if we're talking about just social media presence, like obviously Donald Trump has a very large presence on social media, but not for very positive reasons when it comes to the youth, because a lot of the memes trying that are alt-right connections and stuff like that. But I think Beto did a really good job with that as well. Um, even Bernie Sanders has gotten better on it he's out there but still some of his stuff seems a little <sighs> trying on that and I think it's the talking down to use memes rather than like actually talk to the youth as if they have any understanding of politics which can be frustrating I want to talk about Mr. Bernard Sanders because he's <laughs> a bit of an outlier when we talk about age beauty attractiveness mm -hmm. the youth etc and part of it is that we have this idea I think left over from 2016 that Bernie Sanders is like the youth's guy but polls are showing that that's not really the case Joe Biden is actually more popular amongst not just younger people but pretty much every demographic than Bernie Sanders is so like ouch what happened I think a lot of his fervor in 2016 was that he wasn't Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Yeah. Like it or love it or hate it or whatever. That's just a fact. It's like he was running against Hillary Clinton, who a lot of people didn't like at the time and still don't. Um, but he was an old man and seen as the cool one, right? He was an old man who, as someone else on the internet put it, and I don't know this person's name, and I promise not to steal your joke without giving you at least anonymous credit, he combs his hair with a balloon, you know? Yeah. Like... His aesthetic, his physical aesthetic. Do you know that he's like six foot one or something like what? that? What? I thought he was like really? five four. Yeah, no, he's incredibly tall or like pretty tall. But he has like this sort of curmudgeoning old appearance of just like, you know, I'm Bernie Sanders. But also like like static just out of the dryer. Yeah, just like, <laughs> where's the dryer sheets, ma? You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, man. And it's just like, to me, it, it, oh, it perplexed me at the time. It perplexes me less now because we're starting to see that like he's he was at least very popular. He's still pretty popular, but he was very popular in 2016 because he was running against Hillary Clinton. It perplexed me then why he was so popular as the cool one when we have our first like major female candidate potentially and later would be confirmed as major female candidate. Right. I'm like, that has a lot of appeal to it. Anyone who's freaking about it, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or whomever else should also likewise be excited about Hillary Clinton, but that wasn't necessarily no. the case. And unlike Joe Biden, you know, Joe Biden was out there washing his Trans Am in the front of White House, shirtless with guns out. So, you know, nobody gets the old Onion reference, really. No. <laughs> that was what started Bill, like, not Bill, but like, you know, Joe Biden as like a meme. Joe Biden, almost his attractiveness as the cool, kooky uncle has almost um, it, it shielded him from his iffier aspects. Now, it still kind of has. He's still very popular yeah, in the polls. Because, you know, he's washing his Trans Am. The thing is, is like appearance, you know, Morgan, like, you, you know about the halo effect, right? Could you, could yeah. you tell us a little bit about that? Some AP psych. Uh, oh, really oh. reaching back far for you. Wow. Huh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, now, the halo effect is this idea that um, more attractive people, we allow them to get away with more stuff. We think that they're inherently 
nicer or better people. And so when you are more attractive, you're gonna get the job or you're gonna do better in the polls because people think that you're just a good person. So step one, be attractive. Step two, don't be unattractive. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. If we want to cite some sources that aren't just AP psychs, so, so sorry to, uh, <laughs> wow, to poo-poo your reference there. But uh, Rice University came up with a study in 2006, which is still pretty dated. Pretty, pretty AP psych for, I think, all of us in the room, actually. <laughs> yeah. But still, I think, relevant. It talks about how uh, people are more willing to trust strangers or politicians or whoever if they're attractive. In this article that they mentioned, it also has a degree of intersectionality with race. um, So that's a thing. But just in general, like if you're more attractive, for example, Ted Bundy, right? People are more likely to get in your car with you or vote for you at the ballot box or at the mailbox, like how we do in Oregon, because we're not completely behind the times. Mm. So, you know, it's interesting when you talk about the halo effect. There's some people who argued that with JFK versus Nixon, that was the first time there was televised presidential debates. If those debates had happened in, say, 56, Nixon would have won. Uh, Are you sure? No, that's. It's, I heard it on a podcast once, okay? It's something that they were worried about. I heard about. it on a podcast no, no, once. No, no, but follow me here. So one of the things that Nixon even talked about is that, like, and, and what his strategists were pissed off about was that essentially Nixon looked like hell when he showed up. Like, he hadn't shaved, so they used this weird makeup to make it look like he had. Like, lots of weird stuff like that. So he looked not so great on television. And then you have JFK. Huh. You know? <laughs> Um, showing up there and so what's interesting is that like that attractiveness thing definitely had a point in JFK's favor and then let's think about like a modern version of that right did anybody watch Beto O'Rourke try and debate against Ted Cruz I mean it's not a stretch of the imagination that uh, teen heartthrob uh, Beto O'Rourke looked a little bit better than plausible alien uh, Ted Cruz he looked better I will say I actually did watch at least one of those debates Ted Cruz I think all of his political clout basically comes (laughs) And I, I hate this comparison because it's like so kind of weird, but it's accurate. Both he and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez have like this power, this, you know, talent of being able to just dig at people. Part of the reason why AOC, as her popular little acronym has her, uh, is so successful on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever, is she has that sort of like New York clapback, like that whole like, oh, I can see your weaknesses and I'm going to point them out to you. Yeah, and and it's, it's, it's a thing. And Ted Cruz has that same talent in a different regard. Well, Ted Cruz is a master debater, you might say. He is. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that was a terrible pun, Drake. I'm, I'm um, here all week, folks. <laughs> um, and PG-13. I mean, it is. He's a master debater. <laughs> I mean, haven't you seen him debate? Uh, okay. Uh, moving on. He has that a similar skill, not quite in the same regard, I would say. And he, like, to a certain for certain parts of the de- debate, definitely smeared Beto on the floor. Oh, oh yeah. So, and Beto can hold his own in debate. Like, he's not a bad debater by any means. But like, when you're going up against Ted Cruz, like, realize you're you're literally going up against the politicians that some people consider to be Satan. One. I mean. And two, like, Ted Cruz isn't a senator without reason. Yeah. You know, like, he's the kind of guy that when you ask fellow Republicans about him, they're like, yeah, they just shot him. Like, what? I think it was, like, Lindsey Graham mentioned it, that if somebody shot Ted Cruz in the middle of, like, session, Mm -hmm. if it was a jury of his peers, uh, that person would not be convicted. (laughs) Nobody likes Ted Cruz. That was Lindsey Graham, like, six to seven years ago. Yeah, back when Lindsey Graham had, well... A vertebra. Yeah. I wouldn't say you ever had now a spine. Now Lindsey Graham is actively calling uh, for, was it Barr or McGann, to ignore the subpoena from the House of Representatives. Which, by the way, side note, do subpoenas just not work anymore? Like, I thought the legal system existed. Can we just arrest them? Yeah, I mean, there is a sergeant at arms. He can just show up and arrest them. Yeah. Since, you know, the House of Representatives. Do you know who does the arresting, though? 
take a guess. It's not just the sergeant of arms. Who else? The speaker Department of the house? Department of Justice. Oh, so, you know, it's almost like there's this massive flaw in our uh, government that, what? wait a second. There is? I know, right? One of the many is, wait a second. So, the Department of Justice, if it's corrupt and it's not following the rules, who arrests the Department of Justice? To quote uh, Watchmen, who watches the Watchers? Anyway. Back to the topic. Yeah, yeah, we're totally off topic here. So, so um, uh, to circle back to the, the trusting of attractive people, mm -hmm. uh, I guess attractive people are more easy to trust. There's a Netflix documentary called The Science of Sex Appeal, worth a watch if you haven't seen it. And in that documentary, they talk about how certain facets of attractiveness, um, people are attracted to them because they are indicative of strong genes. And you're attracted to that because biology says that if I mate with someone who has strong genes, my young will have strong genes and go on to survive. <laughs> so, so there's that biological aspect to it as well, which I find interesting, especially in regards to how we perceive political candidates, because that's a kind of drive that's coming from instinct, not from judgment. But it's affecting your ballot, not who you're gonna marry. I feel like Freud is like already like scratching who? his beard. Freud like uh -huh. scratching his beard and like oh come on, um, <laughs> no, not Freud in Freud. Aww. It's like scratching his beard in the grave right now. Like there's got to be some weird thing when it comes to like male leaders in particular. Because we were talking about how if a woman leader is too attractive, <gasps> no, can't vote for or her. Or if we talk about it at all, right? No, then it's a problem. But male leaders, if they're like a Justin Trudeau, or Emmanuel Macron, or a Beto O'Rourke when he's like, you know, doing his weird, like, cross-country America poetry thing, right? Um, then it's okay. It gets back to that, like, you know, virility question. It's like, oh, yeah, I can meet with that person, you know, strong whatever. And there's probably this some, you know, element to our patriarchal society, um, or at least some kind of strange psychosexual thing, where, like, yeah, if we we're going to have a strong male leader, we want it to be hot, too. Well, if it's, like, a strong, like, attractive woman leader, then, like, matriarchy scares people. Like, there's probably something there. I would I say that's more of a construct than it is a biological thing, right? Right. So like, then, misogyny is inherently constructed. Like, we're trained to fear women for whatever reason, if they're attractive or unattractive. Like, there's that classic trope. Like, you're the mother, or you're the crone, or you're the witch, or you're the, I don't want to say the bad swear word, but uh, prostitute, question mark? You know, like... Lady only, of the night? <laughs> yeah, like, we only have so many, like, nice females, watch. classically, in classical literature and biblical literature, whatever else, have only have so many tropes. And they're pretty, like, banal. And it's like, if you don't fit into one of those four, like, A, good luck, because you probably will. Oh, and B, like, somehow, if you're able to, like, not fit into one of those four, like, you're an angel sent from, sent from heaven or some kind of weird anomaly. Because, like, how are you not, you know, the crone or the lady of the night or, or the Daenerys mother? Or Daenerys Targaryen. Or Daenerys, yeah, who was technically a mother, but different story. Like, mother of dragons and stuff. She literally Well, no, mother. I know, yeah, miscarriage or something, right? Yeah. yeah. What happens, Drake, I have a question for you, or anyone who wants to take this, what happens if someone is perceived as not necessarily super physically attractive, but we still want to revere them? Think Donald Trump, daddy memes found on Reddit. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, like when, when we have political figures or TV characters or whomever that we want to support because of our ideologies or whatever else, sometimes we will make them to be out, out to be more attractive. I think... Um... And this kind of goes back to what Morgan was talking about earlier with the social media presence of politicians. There are other things other than physical appearance that make people attractive to us. But that aren't specifically policy related? Yeah. So like like Morgan was saying, skills on social media, for one. Mm -hmm. um, voice, mm -hmm. for another. 
So the Adam Driver effect. Or Benedict Cumberbatch, I think is a more sure. more well-known. It's the weird-looking dude, but for some reason there's still people who are so thirsty well, for. Adam Driver and Benedict Cumberbatch, while they're not like, you know, I don't know, Ryan Gosling, they're still physically attractive. Have you seen their faces? And like, yeah. so, like, like Bernie Sanders, for example, charismatic people often, whether they're attractive or not, still have that charisma. We find things that are attractive in people that we want to support that we might not otherwise find attractive physically. No, I, I definitely hear you. Of course, this begs the question, the elephant in the room. We've all been talking about conventionally attractive or conventionally unattractive but still attractive anyway. White people. All right. That's... Oh, boy. As mentioned previously, race does have a huge role in this. Right. And... I mean... Drake sets down his drink because yeah, he wants like, to get serious Not only just, Not only are we talking about hashtag woke things, this is the white boy in an all-white room here. <laughs> Oof, checking the privilege at the door and the download page. But um, whiteness in America, like whiteness is usually seen as like an attractive factor. Don't want to be that guy. In politics? In, po in general. Yeah, in, in, in anything, literally. Uh, let's think about like Obama, for instance. Obama was the whitest black guy there was. He went by Barry in like college for Also one reason. of the most like charismatic people I think we've ever just like seen right in this, public it's, you know it's a and maelstrom of it. a fantastic speaker oh yeah, yeah. fantastic no. speaker very charismatic has a soothing voice sure totally. and i would say is also physically attractive right? right but like how did how did we get to middle america how did he win ohio so on and so forth this is this is something that's well known is that like ta-nehisi coates gets mad about it but let's let's be honest he was the kind of guy who is black but not too black, which in America is a huge thing. Like when it comes to advertising, for instance, um, we want to have diversity, right? It's a running joke now that if you're going to have a black person on there, it's going to be the racially ambiguous black woman. Like seriously, look this thing up. It's or hilarious. a black person who lives like a white life. Like, right, like a black guy married to a white woman, or it's like somebody who looks mixed race, who's a young woman who has lots of friends who are not of that race. It's seriously, you can spook, like, this stuff is hilarious. And it's where it's basically, it's ethnic enough that makes people in America go, oh, yeah, this represents America, but not so much that it breaks with white beauty standards. Yeah. I would also argue, like, there's, like, obviously socioeconomic, just general, the, the aspect of socioeconomic qualities factors into this. Like, when you see those car commercials of, like, you're Subaru, and there's, like, the family, and they happen to be a black family, they always live in, like, a white suburb. Yep. That's always bothered me. It's not to say that, like, that can't happen, because it does, you know? Yeah. But, like, life in America comes in all shapes and sizes, you know? And it's just, like, sort of, like, why did we... Where did we get to the point where, like, it's okay if they're black as long as, they, again, they live, like, a white life? Right. Well, and, and, and Morgan, maybe you can speak to this because you're the resident Asia expert here. Um, no, no, seriously. So We're getting into some really awkward territory. <laughs> hey, you know, we all went to liberal arts colleges. We, mm. We've been properly brainwashed, but, you know, we can still talk about things, you know. That's fine. Morgan, like, we've talked about whiteness in American culture and how that's a problem. What about across the uh, Pacific Ocean? Um, well, my roommate and I, who um, she is biracial, so she's half Chinese, um, she and I talk about this a lot, is the fact that... Half Chinese and half white. white? Okay. Yeah. Um, the idea that through, whether it's imperialism or America's soft power or anything like that, these European white beauty standards have proliferated through all cultures. And we're starting to see that um, in a lot of Asian cultures, a lot of people go over there for plastic surgery, for example. 
um, because there's double eyelid surgeries to try to get rid of the mono eyelid that we prescribe to Asian populations, or they have a lot of um, whitening skin products. So in their makeup or in their just general beauty products, they will have uh, bleaching agents in them to try to make their skin more white. And so there's a lot of colorism within um, Asian cultures um, about having whiter skin, having lighter skin. Um, how can you have Anglo features, so a higher nose, a stronger jawline, things like that, that you definitely see seep over from America or other European uh, influences, both historically and now. And does that not dovetail, like, it's a positive feedback loop. There was already historically a bias towards lighter skin because it meant you weren't, like, say, a field worker, right? Yeah. But then you add in Western culture, which equals white is better. That's just, that's that's a recipe for, um... Yeah. Um, a lot of my Korean friends will talk about if they have darker skin, um, they'll call them bronze Koreans because it means that they probably, in their family history, were out in the fields more or something like that, and so they refer to them as bronze. Wow. I, I, I hate to say it, but if you look at, like, K-pop stars and the rest... Oh, yeah. K-pop stars, definitely. They look pretty light. Very white, and, um... They're obsessive about uh, like sunscreen because they don't want to get a tan. Or um, a lot of people who have uh, taught over there as like Americans and stuff like that, people will say that their skin looks dirty if they have a tan or something like that. So it is definitely experienced globally. I mean, and also since you were a white person who has hung out there before and will be hanging out there mm -hmm. again, were were there not certain privileges conferred to you in part because of uh, absolutely the race? Absolutely, um, we especially because a lot of us were um, young women too. We didn't know the language. Granted, lots of the students were very keen to learn. Um, we still got so much help. And even when we went out to clubs and bars and stuff like that. Um, you wouldn't. It's legal there. It's 18, 18. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> um, we had just a lot of drinks paid for us by the people there and um, walking the streets and stuff like that. They would take photos with us. They thought we were celebrities or anything like that. Because where we went in Fuzhou, there's not a lot of white people that visit there. And it was just this really weird dichotomy there. Hannah, you've been to China too, right? I, I have, but um, my experience in India is mm -hmm. very similar to what you're describing. And it was off-putting to a strong degree, I would say. Yeah. Um, but it also was a lesson to me in understanding my privilege. That, and I also, I have red hair, which is apparently... Uh, you what? <laughs> no one told me! Oh my gosh! The whole time? <laughs> I guess that's not so commonly seen in some places in India. So that was another factor. Lots of people have photos of me. <laughs> now, yeah. I am strangers. Yeah, basically. Yeah. You know, I always wonder how that conversation goes. It's like they have like a photo scrapbook or whatever, and they go back to their home families and they're like, ha, here's this redheaded white person. And like, yeah. not, not just like afterwards, but like 10 years later. I, and yeah, they're like, I oh. I, I wonder what the purpose of the photo is. I don't know. Um, how often, like when you're at concerts and stuff, when you take photos of stuff, do you actually go back and look at it later? I mean, I guess, but like, you know, when was the last time you saw Hannah lose at her in like, I don't know, Goa, India, you know? Like, it's a big deal. You're going to look back on that photo all the time. Uh, we, we even had a student on our trip who was Indian. And we, after a certain point, we actually had to like surround her because people would focus in on her because uh -huh. she does have much darker skin than all of us. And they were very interested in that. And so we had to move in front of her a lot to stop people from very aggressively 
actually filming her. Whoa, Ooh, that's, that's gross. That's, yeah. That, that's, uh, that's kind of icky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would, um, after a while, people taking pictures of us so often, because we were also a group of um, mostly women. Yeah. It got to be, it, it got to the point where it was interfering with mm-hmm. what we were trying to do on any given day. We would start asking for money and we weren't really serious about that, mm-hmm. but it would make them put their camera down Yeah, and uh, kind of leave us alone. So yeah, it's a, an interesting experience for sure. Definitely. Okay. Wow, that was, that got dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry guys. But hey, you know. Welcome to race relations and attractiveness. Like, they're kind of... And also, like, white imperial culture, question mark? Yeah, I mean, the British Raj seems to still be alive in certain respects. Fringe. Anyway, we had a a fun part of this episode planned out. Oh, yeah? And what's the fun part, Sophia? Uh, It's where... So, one of the contributors at Arbiter, because I was talking about this, the, the whole reason... To give you some backstory, dear listeners, uh, the whole reason why we're talking about this is that one of the contributors for Arbiter, Kenzie Seifert, she and I were talking about how we found the new president of Ukraine, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, to be very attractive, or at least somewhat attractive. Uh, and you guys should look up photos of him. Maybe I can I can bring up a photo of him now for, for the gang. Like, he's not unattractive. He's pretty cute. He's cute, yeah. I wouldn't say he's hot, but I would say he's cute. Um, he's rocking the t-shirt and the, the blazer well, he's, combo. He's super young. One, he's super young, obviously. <laughs> and uh, another really interesting fact, if you consider the history of Ukraine and also just like Eastern Europe in general, he's Jewish. Uh, which if you know anything about the history of Ukraine, I don't want to get into it too far, but it's bleak when it comes to how they treat Jews or have treated Jews there Ugh. in the past. Yeah, not good. Uh, but now he's their new president. He's young. He's a comedian. He's attractive, right? Um, she and I started talking about this and then I was like, you know what? I want to talk about this more. And so now we're talking about beauty in in politics on this podcast. Lovely. And also in that discussion that I had with her, she was able to find a website called (laughs) hottestheadsofstate.com, which I encourage everyone to check out. We're not sponsored by them or anything, but it has some hilarious listings. Let me see if I can try to pull some of them up for you. Hold on. John F. Kennedy is Wait, number three. This is this is presidents. We're gonna go oh, to and, and, okay. The list they have on presidents of the United States in order of hotness. JFK is number three. Who's yeah. number one? It's some random person. I forget. <laughs> one of the ones you wouldn't pick. Like Garfield or something. Yeah, probably. Uh, so they have hottest heads of state, and guess what? It's not Justin Trudeau who's number one. It's Pedro, Pedro Sanchez, Sanchez, who is the prime minister of Spain. And let me tell ya. They're not wrong. <laughs> you guys should go look him up. If you don't know who he is, he's very attractive. Is he going to um, be on The Bachelor next season? Uh, he's probably married, you know, but it's Spain, so like... Uh. Exactly. Uh, number two is Justin Trudeau. Number three, and this is... Or number three... Okay. Number three, yeah, is... Ooh. He is the King of Bhutan. I don't want to say his name because I'm probably going to... Just say King Wongchuk. Yeah, King Wongchuk is is the King of Bhutan, which, if I know anything about Bhutanese politics, he doesn't actually have any political power in Bhutan. He just has a really cool pompadour. They also... They they run on uh, gross domestic happiness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's been there. Has thing. been their metric of, of which, well, well-being. Which is really convenient when you have a huge peasantry class that you don't support. 
Sorry. Anyway. I don't know very much about Bhutan. Number four, and I agree with this, Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister of New Zealand. She's been in the headlines recently because New Zealand had their horrible Christchurch massacre in which a lot of people died. But she's been, you know, sort of a supporter of anti-gun you know, like gun reform legislation within New Zealand, which is easy to do when you're in New Zealand. She's the brunette that keeps NRA up at night. Yeah, I think I saw her on a John Oliver episode. Um, they were talking about how there are actually quite a few maps without New Zealand without New Zealand on it. That's mm-hmm. hilarious. Yeah. So if you see a map without New Zealand, pour one out for New I, Zealand because they deserve it. There's only four New Zealanders I'm aware of, which is now Jacinda Ardern, and I'm very aware of her. Um, Taika Waititi because he directed <laughs> Thor Ragnarok. Oh dear! And, no, he's, he's great. So more, like good movies besides that. Though. No, no, no. Taika's done other stuff like What We Do in the Shadows. Yes. Fantastic. Who and, else? Uh, he's, oh, oh, yeah. And then the Flight of the Concords guys. Jer- oh, uh, like I have a fifth Jermaine one for you. and um, what's what's the other guy's name? Everybody forgot about that guy. Oh wait, no. I have a fifth one for you. Oh, who? I'll give you a hint. She's a she. I mean, I'm already interested. In what's going on? She's young. Makes music. Oh, yeah, Lord. Lord. Oh, yeah. Lord, Lord was... Lord, Lord, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am Lord. All right. So the other game we were going to play, though, right, was... Um, oh, Emmanuel Macron's only number, number six? six? Some of these ones I really question, though. Like, the first top ten or so. But, like, okay, here's one. Joseph Kabila, president of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Like, he's not unattractive. He's Steve Harvey. He doesn't deserve he's number... He's Steve Harvey. He doesn't deserve number nine, Okay. Let's see. Like, there's, what, yeah. you, you don't see, like Moon Jae-in? Katrine Jakob's daughter, Prime Minister of Iceland, I would say is way hotter than Joseph Kabila. Like, what is this? Dude, Bjork is looking good at this age. Oh, come on. She looks like Bjork. She does because she's white and from Iceland? No, she's a brunette, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would like to note that there are 198 people on, on this, this list. list. We're not going to go through it. No, but uh, there are only 15 women. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. And that's not, it's probably partially related to beauty and politics, but it's also just like sexism is a thing globally. Like there are very few cultures in which sexism isn't a thing. Are these all of the states? 198, well, they list things that weren't quite states. And I think they list Spain twice, actually. Uh, they, I think they have oh, the, the king, king of Spain, Spain on here somewhere yeah. in addition to the That's prime still quite a bit. There's only like, what, 196? Three? 193. And the United wait, Nations. Wait, are you not like recognizing the state of Kosovo and Sealand? Sealand's like... Rip. Yeah. Where's Sealand? Sealand's so, great. oil, like old oil rigs. Right, yeah. So Sealand, fun fact, was, uh, is a set of Not oil... to be confused with Sea World. <laughs> right. Or Water World. Um, oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, so Sealand is a set of oil derricks out in northwest of the British Isles near the Orkney Islands, I think. And it used to be a pirate radio station during like the 60s and 70s. And there's still people squatting there. That's awesome. No, you, can, you can buy some of the oil riggers to like live on. Yeah, it's kind of great. Yeah. Anyways. Okay, back to this list. Uh, another disagreement that I have, Imran Khan, Prime Minister of Pakistan, is listed as number 16. Meanwhile... Roosevelt Skerritt, Prime Minister of Dominica, is clearly way hotter. Like, who is this? He doesn't even have eyebrows. Come on. <laughs> what like is a, this? He looks like a discount Bond villain. I mean, uh, there's, there's some some degree of, like, personal preference going on here. Like, whoever created this list. This dude is way hotter than, like, five people. Well, it about King, Spain, yeah. King Felipe uh, the Sixth of Spain is, beard. like... It, it, he kinda, it's the Riker beard, I hate indeed. to say it, he kind of looks like Mel Gibson. But like, <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. 
But, and an A, and more attractive Mel Gibson. And wait, again, I want to point out number 16 to y'all, Imran Khan, Felipe VI of Spain. Are we assuming... Also, also, we have, like, one picture of each of these people in front of us. So, like, there could be other pictures that portray them more attractively out there in the world. It's all about the Also, can we go back up just a, just a touch? One more. All right. Mark Root, uh, the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, just looks like like a sadder version of Matt Damon if he became like an I was going to say sadder version of Brett Kavanaugh, but guess who played Brett Kavanaugh in SNL? Hey. Matt Damon! We did it! All right. So, um, it's time to wrap up our installment so we can finish off another bottle of wine and not have to be recorded. So, this concludes the latest installment of Pinot and Policy. I would like to thank Sophia... Hannah, and my darling sister, Morgan, for putting up with us today. Um, and we can't forget Steph Reeves, our fantastic producer. Uh, you can catch us on iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, wherever you find your podcasts. And, you know, also check out our website, arbitur.org, for more articles and shenanigans. Like us on Facebook if you're not a Russian bot. And we'll be back shortly, folks. See you soon. <laughs>